like that. Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman ass. Show. Welcome, 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 one and all. Before we get into what we are going to talk about today, make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, to listen to right now, make sure you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Leave a rating out of five stars on both. Leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, for social media on Twitter, you can find me at Logan underscore Blackman. Twitter, Instagram account, Blackman Logan. Shows the Instagram account, the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. It should pop up. And again, you're listening to it right now. Make sure, if you're not already, subscribe to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. The or is if you don't have an iPhone. And the and is if you do have an iPhone. Because you can download Spotify. You already have the Apple Podcast account. So just do it. What are you waiting for? Just do it. And leave a rating on five stars. Leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Whether it was good, bad, positive, negative, whatever. Just let me know. Now, I would like to say the same thing. <laughs> How do you feel about the United States men's national team going into the 2022 World Cup? For those of you who are unaware, the United States played two friendlies. Okay? They released a squad. They had two friendlies against Saudi Arabia, which they played today, and Japan. Both games... I could say this, I think most United States fans are thinking this going into the World Cup. After these two games, the excitement level has gone way, 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 way down. Like, it's just not, I'm just not excited right now. Like, looking at what squad selection was and knowing some of the players that missed out, I know there's some injuries that throughout the, throughout the squad. I know there's some places competing, but... It's starting to get a little frustrating, not going to lie, watching the United States men's national team and knowing that there are better players out there that are just not getting picked or there are players that do not really deserve a place in the starting lineup, let alone a place in the squad, that are constantly playing. I don't know what it is. Like, I've... The thing is, I've, I understand to a certain extent, okay? But I also am very frustrated as a lot of people out there. There is no reason on God's green earth why Aaron Long should be playing, let alone be in the squad, above John Brooks. There's no reason for it. There's not a single reason that anybody can tell me that John Brooks should not be on this plane to guitar instead of Aaron Long. The only reason Aaron Long is going on, and we've said this a thousand times on the show, we've done videos about it, we've done everything, Aaron Long was the first ever captain of Greg Berhalter. This is, I've, I'm not taking credit for this name, but I've seen it a lot on Twitter recently. There's a select group of people that are known as Greg's guys. Triple G's guys. The guys that Greg Berhalter will pick, no matter what form they're in, no matter what they're doing, it does not matter. It does not matter what they're doing for club. If they're, new, if they're doing good, <laughs> good for club, it doesn't matter what they're doing for the national team. So you've got players like Aaron Long. Paul Ariola is another example of that. Now, Paul Ariola always puts a shift in, but <laughs> he should not be in the running for starting right winger. For the United States. Had a like of Tim Weah. Had a likes of Giovanni Reina, who a lot of people don't think is a winger. And I'm of the belief of that as well. He's an attacking midfielder. He's a number 10. He can play number 8. He's not a natural winger. He's like six foot two. He's a big dude. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a natural winger. Pulls things like 5'10 on a good day. And he got freaking lengthy dude over here playing on the right wing who's taller than the striker. And it seems to be Ricardo Pepe is a Greg's guy. You've got likes of Christian Roldan, Sebastian Legette. Legette hasn't been called up to the team in a little bit now. Last time Legette was actually called up to the team was in February, which is weird. 
In 2021, I believe it was Ariola and Legette played the most minutes on a Greg Berhalter. I believe. I believe. And they were co-captains during the United States Gold Cup Championship run. Like, there are specific people that just keep getting picked that you just cannot explain really or give definitive answer to why they're getting picked other than Greg Berhalter trusts them. And that's important. I'm not naive to the fact that having trust in players is very, very important. Why would you not? Why would you pick people that you don't trust? If they've performed decent enough for you on some occasions, why would you not keep picking them? And you could say the same thing when you look over the England national team. Like, there's no reason, really, that Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire should be playing for England. Neither one of them start for Manchester United right now. Harry Maguire has sucked for the better part of two years now. Luke Shaw had a good run of form last year and then lost his starting job to Tyrell Masalia at Manchester United. Harry Maguire lost his starting job to Lissandra Martinez, a guy who is eight inches shorter than him, I believe. A five foot nine inch center back. No, nothing against my short kings out there, but five foot nine for center back is not usually the most ideal height. But he's got a more commanding presence back there than freaking Harry Maguire does. But Harry Maguire gets picked for England. You see all these different players that the managers trusts. When you look at what they've done at club level, and even what they've done recently at international level, you're like, why the hell are you getting picked? Why the hell are you getting picked? And that's what a lot of people are saying around Aaron Long. No one really has a problem with Cameron Carter-Vickers or Chris Richards or Mark McKenzie. No one has problems with those picks. Even Walker Zimmerman, though he hasn't played well recently, most people don't have a, have a disdain for Walker Zimmerman. Aaron Long has not played good for club level, and he has not played good for the United States in these friendlies. But you know what? He's going to guitar. Whether you like it or not, he's going to guitar. And John Brooks is... Arguably the most talented center back the United States has. Ever talking about pound for pound rankings of the center backs, most people would probably have John Brooks number one, right? Or am I wrong in saying that? But for some reason, Burhalter is not picking him. And it could go down to injuries, it could be down to attitude. Maybe he's not playing the exact way Burhalter wants to play. But after watching these friendlies, I cannot sit here and tell you that what Aaron Long does works with what Greg Burhalter's doing. He's given the ball away. He's not great. His passing range has not been great, at least in these two games. Like, there are players that are better on the bench that are not here that should be playing. And I think for all things considered, most people have the understanding that Matt Turner has won the United States' number one race. I think that's. I think most people consider that a done deal at this point. But there's something inside of me that thinks Zach Steffen's going to be out there for Qatar and start because he's been the captain of Greg Berhalter numerous times. And he's going to get a fighting chance, but he hasn't been playing. So it's kind of hard not to go with the, oh, yeah, it's Matt Turner. He's the inform guy for the United States. Steffen's been hurt. He's missed some crucial time in the United States. It was kind of one of those situations where I kind of defended Zach Steffen. Like when the Gold Cup happened, like 2021, it was a really weird year for Zach Steffen. So he goes into the CONCACAF Nation League final against Mexico, gets hurt. Ethan Horvath comes in and saves the penalty. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about, oh, Ethan Horvath should be the starter of the United States, or Ethan Horvath should at least be in competition for that. When most level-headed people knew that was a one-off, it ain't happening again. He's not in the running for a starting job. He's in the running for that third choice with Sean Johnson, but he's not challenging for the starting job. That's Matt Turner's job. And Matt Turner at the time only had one cap. 
But most people saw that Matt Turner was the closest thing to challenging Zach Steffen out of everybody else the United States had at their disposal. And then the Gold Cup happened. And the Gold Cup was an interesting thing because Zach Steffen couldn't go even if he wanted to because he had previous, uh, what do you call it, commitments with Manchester City. He had the preseason tour to pick up. And you saw a lot of European players that were over, that player uh, players for the United States, a player over in Europe, not a lot of them played in the tournament. It was a what I called a squad fielding, squad building tournament. Players that you wouldn't normally expect to be in the team get a chance to show that they have a right to fight for their spot in the United States Men's National Team starting 11. If not starting 11, at least be on the plane to Qatar. And Matt Turner did that. And then after the Gold Cup, it was Horvath and Turner. Everybody that Zach Steffen kind of got lost in the sauce there a little bit. But I was under the mindset that Zach Steffen shouldn't be displaced until he loses it. But the more and more we see from Matt Turner, it's kind of hard not to go, yeah, he's not losing it. He's not winning it. And when you're not winning it, you might as well be losing it because you're just standing in place while someone else is building up a stat of steam. Matt Turner had one cap last year. He's at 20 right now. Like, how many games did Zach Steffen play for the United States last year? He played three games. In the past three, two, in the past two years, Zach Steffen's played 10 games for the United States. The past two years, 2020 and 2021. In that same time frame, Matt Turner's played 20. This is what we're talking about in regards to, and I, again, the tournament was in there. The tournament did a lot for Turner in regards to getting caps. But I think most people see that Turner is the best option the United States has right now. And I, I'm not a massive fan of the United States goalies going to Europe, going to England just for the sake of going to England, and then just being a backup like, right now, the United States goalkeepers, their two starters are, well, one is normally a backup for Manchester City, but he's not playing for Middlesbrough because he's hurt. And the other one's a backup at Arsenal. Now, I can understand to a certain extent, I guess, because you're trying to work on your ball distribution. You're going to play under Pep. You're going to play under Mikel Arteta. Arteta came from Pep's system. So you're going to get supposedly better at ball distribution. And Matt Turner has gotten better at that. And it was even before he got to Arsenal that he was showing he had improved as a distributor. He's done a lot with that. But man. <laughs> I'm not as. I mean. I I told my friend Noah this. Because. He's the one I talked about with the United States. Talk about the United States with more than anybody. Him and my dad. Those are the two people I talked the most with the United States. And I did the same thing with the jersey. Do I like the United States World Cup jersey? No, not at all. I'm with most people on that. It's not good. It's not a good jersey. It looks like a freaking practice jersey. And I hate when Nike does this. Nike does it more than most brands. Where they try to come up with some reasoning behind why they made some designs that they did. No. That is a... What do you call it? A... Uh, what's the word you look... You're t- it's the main jersey. It's the, the jersey that every jersey you have is stapled after. All the Nike jerseys look like that for whatever reason. They might not have the colors in there, but they all have the same designs on them. You can see that in the fabric, they just added colors to the United States ones. It's just, like, the kits aren't good. The kits ain't good. I can say that about a lot of the World Cup kits out there. I don't think any of them are particularly that amazing. I like Argentina's away one. England's ones suck. That game is going to be brutal because the jerseys aren't going to be good and (laughs) the play... It's going to be very negative. This is a game that England could definitely attack on. 
But Gareth Southgate has proved time and time again that he's a very negative manager. He plays negative tags, he plays back five. That has a lot to go down with England being a lot less fruitful, less frugal defensively than they are in attack. But it's not the most enjoyable thing to watch from time to time. But you know what? I say all that about the jersey, about it's not great, not that stuff. You know what? I'm going to buy it. I'm saying right now that I'm not excited for the World Cup after watching the United States struggle through two turn two games against teams that are lower than the level that they're going to play in the World Cup, but yet made it to the World Cup. Yeah, I'm not as excited. But you know when the World Cup kicks off in a, to a couple months? Oh, we're going to do all the national anthem stuff. We're going to be decked out in red, white, and blue. We're going to have the scarves on. We're going to have everything. I'm a sucker like that. The United States men's national team has me just, they have me wrapped around their, their, their pervert, their, uh, what do you call it? I'm, I'm struggling with words right now. They got me wrapped around their pinky, I guess. I don't know why I'm struggling so much with words, but this, this, this hasn't been great. This hasn't been great. And I'm trying to think of like positive ways to look at this, but like the United States, 0-0 drive with Saudi Arabia in a very empty stadium. I give 100% credit to the United States fans that went out to Mercia to go play that game. Like, I, I hate when they do this. I hate when international, like, teams decide to do this. Why on God's green earth is Saudi are Saudi Arabia and the United States playing in Spain? Why on God's green earth are Japan and the United States playing in Germany? Why is this a thing? Why, who is going to go to those games? Again, I give credit to the people that do, but most people out there are not going to fly out to Spain or Germany to go to the United States men's national team soccer game against Saudi Arabia or Japan. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. And the locals sure as hell don't care. Why? Because you're playing in Germany and Spain. <laughs> They're not United States fans. They're not Saudi Arabia fans. They're not Japan fans. They're nothing. So in the United States, the United States tied 0-0 with Saudi Arabia. They're 1-3-3, three, three, so they've won one, lost three, drew three in 2022 versus teams that have qualified for the World Cup. Failed to score in six of its seven games versus such opponents. Third time under Greg Berhalter were consecutive score, scoreless games. It's a very negative style that I have defended in the past. Like when you watch what the, like 2021, they came away with three trophies. You can't really fault for that. And you built a nice cohesive squad. You built up the spirit in the soccer team again. But I'm nervous going to the World Cup. How do I think, like when you're sitting back, like that, and you provide little to no service for your forwards. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going to watch Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Bakaya Saka, hopefully Marcus Rashford, Jane Sancho, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, all these different players attack the United States with a back with a back two of center backs with Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long. Good freaking Lord. I'm sorry, I love the MLS. I'm glad they're growing it, but good Lord, a center back pairing with two MLS center backs is not striking fear in the hearts of nobody. Like, if I'm looking at the United States men's national team squad, given what Burhalter has called up recently, and this is not in any means a team that I would start, but it looks like, to me, the starting lineup for the United States going into the World Cup is Turner and Nett, Dest at the right, Anthony Robinson at left, we got Zimmerman and Long at center backs, you got a midfield three of Tyler Adams, Jonas Musa, and Weston McKinney. And then a front three of Pulisic on the left, Jesus Ferreira through the middle, and someone of Paul Ariola, Tim Weah, and Giovanni Reina on the right. Because he likes bringing in Aaron, Brendan Aronson as a super sub. Because he provides that quote-unquote spark they're looking for 
off the bench, which he does. He, he plays very well when he comes off the bench. It just so happens he plays the same position as Christian Pulisic. Though he can play on the right, and he's probably the best winger outside of Pulisic they have, even though he's not a natural ringer. Winger, he's an attacking midfielder. He might be the best option, but Weya probably should start, given what Weya did during the World Cup qualifying days. But Ariel is going to be around it too. Ariel is going to be right there around it. And you look at the backup strikers behind Jesus Ferreira, I would hope it's Jordan Pifok and Josh Sargent. Because given how Josh Sargent's played, it's hard not, it's going to be harder to find reasons to not include him in the squad than to exclude him in the squad. Just, like, you've got to keep, he's playing great for North City. He's found his level, and he's scoring like freaking crazy right now in the championship. Pepe scored his first goal for Groningen like last week or two weeks ago, however long it was. Since his first goal since like when was it October of twenty twenty one? Yeah, October seventh, twenty twenty one was the last goal Ricardo Pepe had scored. And I liked when Pepe kicked off and was like this nineteen year old that chose the United States over Mexico. Oh my God, he's going to be the next great American striker. He played really well in the a few World Cup qualifiers. He played friendly, starting at eighteen years old at the time. It's just not it. It's not it right now. Jesus Ferreira has not played amazingly for the United States right now. He hasn't played great, but he scored five goals in 2022. He scored four goals against Granada, <laughs> of all teams. Like He's going to start. Jesus Ferreira is going to start for the United States. And he's played well for FC Dallas. He's rated, I think, the best player in the MLS under the age of 22 or something like that. He'll start. Jordan Pifok is the best striker the United States has. <laughs> he's battling to try and get on the plane. And we already know he's not going to start. Like, dude scored 27 goals last year. 27. For the team now, the transferred to Union Berlin, for a team that is in the top five in the Bundesliga, let's just make sure. I just want to make sure they're still in the top five. Just want to make sure. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Did I say top five? I meant leading the Bundesliga. Leading the Bundesliga. He has scored four goals so far this season. Three in the Bundesliga. Like, there is no reason that we should be having this conversation about, oh, should Jordan Pifok be on the team? No, we know he should be on the team. He's the best damn striker they have. But for whatever reason, we're having this conversation. Like, why do you leave him out? Why do you leave him out? Why do you leave him, why do you leave him out? I don't know. I have an idea. I think it's because he wanted to challenge Pepe and Sargent, but Sargent didn't. Sergeant Barry played. And Pepe started today. Ferreira started the other game. So I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what his end goal is with the squad. I like to think I have a general idea of what this squad's going to look like. He said it's 85% of the way done a few weeks ago. So with that logic, <coughs> with quote unquote Greg's guys and the, the, the clear starters, the United States, I think you can name like the clear starters, Pulisic, clear starter. And we're not going to include like Ferreira, even though I think he will start, we're not going to include him. We're going to get the best, best guys. Like the people I think are guaranteed, like for anybody, if any single person out there is making a squad, I think these people will be guaranteed in the squad. Pulisic, McKinney, Musa, Adams, Aronson, Reyna, Dest, Anthony Robinson, because he's the only damn left back they have. Is that it? And then the goalie, so Matt Turner and Zach Steffen. So there's 10 players. 
I think if you asked anybody out there, I might have missed someone out there. I don't remember if I said Giovanni Reyna or not, but he'd be on there. If you asked any person out there, I think those 10 names would be brought up. Like, if you can name the 10, first 10 players that come to your mind for the United States men's national team, go. That are currently playing. Now, you got to be careful who you ask because there are going to be some people who are like, oh, Clint Dempsey. Which I wish he was, but sadly he's not. <laughs> uh, it's just not. It, this isn't the type of feeling you want to be having. Like, in 2014, the last World Cup they went to, they beat Germany in Washington, D.C. Josie Altador scored a goal. Clint Dempsey, I think, scored two. I think they won four to two, four to one, or whatever. And then he beat Nigeria. Like they beat the team that eventually won the World Cup. Granted, it was a backup squad. But you still had to beat them. Like It's just like, you just want to have good momentum going to a World Cup while also testing yourself. That's what they thought they did. They tested themselves against Japan and Saudi Arabia. But they didn't play good in either of them. So you lost and drew in two games outside of the United States. One game was played at 7.30 in the morning in Des Moines over in Germany, which I'm not sure a lot of people really got up for. Like, I was already up. I was working. And my dad and I watched it. We went to Cozy Cafe and watched it there. But, like, the average person didn't know. Like, oh, I've got to turn on ESPN2 and watch the United States take on Japan in Spain at 7.30 in the morning. Like, this this does not build any excitement. You played bad, you had weird times, you're outside of the United States, playing prime time. You're play, playing on a Tuesday night. You were playing, what night were they playing? When was the Japan game? The 23rd? What day was the 23rd? 23rd was a Friday. You're not competing with the NFL or college football these days. Tuesday and Friday. You're not competing with those. You can play prime time games. You're not really competing with anybody during these times right now. I know baseball's getting to the latter stages of it, but for people like me with the Cubs out, I haven't watched a baseball game in a few weeks. I followed it, but Cubs have been eliminated. <laughs> they were eliminated before they were officially eliminated in my books. You got no fan excitement. You played bad. You got ugly jerseys. But hey, you're going to the World Cup, and that's really all that matters. But man, going into Black Friday, I mean, Black Friday is going to be crazy. The first game against England, not the first game, but the game against England on Black Friday because they play Wales first. Game against England. It's going to be nuts the day after Thanksgiving. But, man, it's... Confidence is not at an all-time high. Confidence is riding pretty high after 2021. Beat Mexico three times. Confidence was riding pretty high at that point. And then once you qualify for the World Cup, it's like, okay, we qualified. Now we can just stop playing fun and stop winning and just coast in. Why do we have to play anymore? We're already in. No need to test anything. Let's just go. Let's pick our normal guys as per. Like I wanted a semi-exciting squad here. I didn't want to see Pulisic and McKinney. I want to see all players that had no I need needed a game or two to get going to try and get the final spots in the World Cup. Take the ten players that I mentioned out of the equation and then play substitute ten more players in there. Now I know some players withdrew with two to injury, like Reggie Cannon, Cameron Carter Vickers. Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, or not, not Anthony Robinson, but he already had an injury. He didn't withdraw from the squad. He was already injured. Jonas Musa withdraw. He was at the game today. He plays for Valencia, so he was at the game. He's already in Spain, so but just went to the game. I don't know. 
We'll all be suckers. We're all we're all gonna sit here, bitch and moan about the United States not playing very well going into the World Cup. You know what we're all gonna do? Come November, we're all gonna sit our happy asses down and we're gonna be wearing our United States kits and we're gonna be cheering on the United States and then bitching after the United States comes forth in the group. <laughs> but you'll love every second of it. Cause I know I will. I don't think they'll come. I I, I'm trying to say this like I was gonna say it like I didn't just watch today and the Japan game. I, I'm trying to trying to remove those from my mind. And before that, I was like, man, they might actually have a chance against England. I, I don't think so. I know England didn't play particularly well these past couple games, but I just don't feel very confident for it. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't feel very. I don't feel very confident going into this game. I don't. I'm trying. I'm trying super hard to be into this game. But you look at like. Let's look at some of the squads that United States is going to play. We got England. Hey, you look at England's World Cup squad. We already know Jordan Pickford's going to start. We already know like Harry Maguire is going to start. United States is supposed to be good at set pieces. That weren't good this past run, but they're supposed to be good at set pieces. Like United States got the height over a lot of teams are going to play, except for England. Like Harry Maguire, big dude, massive head. John Stones, big dude. Eric Dyer, like that is. If you're talking about negative, a back three of John Stones, Eric Dyer, and Harry Maguire. Now, John Stones can be a little more progressive, but it's still not. It's still not that enjoyable. You're going to be 18 right backs. Uh, hey, the United States has that problem as well. Just our right backs aren't as good. <laughs> Every single right back that's in the running for England. You got like Reese James, you got Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. All those guys would start for the United States right now. I love it. I love Serginio Dest, but I don't think he'd start if any of those guys were over. <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm just being honest. It's being harsh, but I'm being honest. It's just how it is. Uh, Luke Shaw will be there. Ben Chilwell will probably be there. I, th- I honestly think England should just be four right backs. Like, you've got Kyle Walker, who can play center back when they play their back three, play the right center back. And then you've got Kieran Trippier, who can play left back. If need be, I'm not saying he'd he'd like to play there, but he can play there, especially in a wingback situation. You can have options. Like, United States, I say the United States bring three right backs because Des can play left back. He played left back today. You've got options. Like, the England's got more options at left back, I guess, than the United States does, which, what, two? But it's still more than the United States has. Uh, And you got Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham, Mason Mount, Jordan Henderson, Harry Kane who's going to be England's all-time leading scorer by the time the World Cup is done. He's only two goals behind Wayne Rooney. He's done it way less games. Wayne Rooney was had 120 games. Harry Kane's at 75. But Wayne Rooney bounced around the squad a little bit more, played striker, played attacking mid, played on the wing. He did a little bit of everything. He did a little bit of everything. That's why I love Wayne Rooney. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly excited of playing England. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the most excited I've ever been. I'm not. Do we have anybody on this team that has played? I'm trying to find a way to get to the German national team, but I can't find a way to get there. How can I get there? Or not German now? Why am I trying to get to the German? The Welsh national team. Who plays with a Welshman? Someone on the United States does. Walker Zimmerman plays with Gareth Bale. I could just do that, but I'm not going to. Okay, we're going to have to. Because <laughs> that's the only one I can guarantee. The only one I can guarantee. Oh, he's on Nashville. He's not even on the LAC anymore. I got Kellen Acosta. 
I knew he was on Nashville. He, they lost him in the expansion draft, but I just, it just completely blanked it. Completely blanked it. So now we look at Wales. Look at the Welsh national team. Scroll down a little bit. It got Gareth Bale. It got Aaron Ramsey. Is Aaron Ramsey still playing for the Welsh national team? Or is he retired? No, he's still there. He's still there. He hasn't played since June, but he's still there. Joe Allen's still there. Good Lord. Playing for Stoke now. Or Stoke. Playing for Swansea. Goalies are not great. Danny Ward will... You would ex- I don't know. Wayne Hennessy's a backup now to, not, to Nor- Nottingham Forest. And Danny Ward's starting for Leicester. So you would think Danny Ward would start, but we'll have to see. Defensively, they're not great, but they just got the ultimate trap card. They got Gareth Bale. That's all that really matters. Like, sure, they're not the greatest defensively. And if you look on paper, they're probably equal to the United States, but they've got Gareth Bale. The United States got Christian Pulisic, but Pulisic's peak is not Bale's peak. <laughs> it's not. They're not the same type of player. I'm a little more scared of Gareth Bale. A little more. I'm very scared of Gareth Bale. And then Iran, who I, I just feel like, I don't know a lot about the Iranian national team, but I just feel like I'm going to get, I'm just nervous about it. There's a couple players, though, that I'm kind of familiar with. Yahim Bash, Alarizia Yahim Bash playing for Feyenoord. I'm familiar with him. <laughs> I'm familiar with him. And uh, anybody else I'm particularly familiar with? Not really. There was a couple of them. There was a dude that played for Zenit St. Petersburg. That I could not find. Where is he at? I, I'm sure he plays for Zenit St. Petersburg, right? Or is he not Iranian? He was a striker. Where did he go? Do, does he not exist anymore? I swear they had a striker that played for Zenit. What is his name? Oh, Sardar Azum. Sardar Asmon. What he plays for Bayer Leverkusen now? Is he not in the squad? He is in the squad. I just can't read. I, I, just can't, <laughs> I just can't read. There's the other player I'm familiar with. I can't say his name, but there. I don't know. I don't know. My confidence has went from second in the group to I'll be happy with third. I'll be happy with third. It's not a particularly difficult group to maneuver around. I think the United States can beat, weirdly, I think they can beat England. I'm not saying they will. Like, can means a lot of things. It's like when Lloyd Christmas and Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. There's always a chance, though it might be very minuscule, might be very microscopic. There is a minuscule chance that they can beat them. I think they're about 50-50 with Iran and Wales. I think they're about 2% chance to beat England, 50-50 the other two. I think they can come second. They weren't supposed to come out of the group in 2014. They came second in a group with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana, who has been the snake bit, who's been the United States snake bite every single World Cup apart from that one. And they almost were. John Brooks <laughs> laid in a header late in the game to rescue a win there. And I remember in 2014, the loss against Portugal felt like a win. <laughs> the loss the, or the loss against Germany felt like a win, and the draw against Portugal felt like a loss. It just it was a weird time. It was a weird time, but I loved it. And then they lost to Belgium. And Tim Howard, the Secretary of Defense, like having the greatest performance of his life. And still losing. Julian Green scored a goal in that game. Chris Wondolowski was on the plane instead of Clint, or Landon Donovan because Jurgen and Landon had a weird spat. And rightfully so, that's when Landon Donovan kind of lost a lot of fans. It was around that time. I think that's when most people woke up. And, maybe it was – I've always been of the mindset that Clint Dempsey is the greatest United States men's national team player of all time. But some people were, real start, were still trying to hold on to the fact that Landon Donovan was. I respect Landon Donovan. He's definitely number two, but Clint Dempsey's number one. 
by far. By far. I still think it's stupid when Klinsman took the captaincy away from him. I think that's dumb, especially when he gave it to Michael Bradley. Okay, moving on to the United States men's national team. Got to move off this topic because it's getting depressing. But exciting. Depressing and exciting. Because you want, you're want excited for the World Cup, but you're also upset about it because you just watched the United States play garbage against Saudi Arabia and Japan. We'll move on. 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 So with, <laughs> with soccer out of the way, I did not think we really were going to talk about soccer for a half hour. I've seen a lot of lists recently. And we talked about this on, on Monday's show. I've seen a lot of these recently. About NFL power rankings post-week three. Post-week three. I've seen quite a bit of them. And a, a surprising amount of people... Maybe, maybe this shouldn't be surprising. Maybe I'm speaking of this through a biased point of view. And maybe I am. Maybe I am. I don't think I am, though. Given what I watched on Sunday and given what I've seen prior to that. The Bills are not the third best team in the NFL. They're not the second best team in the NFL. And before you say it, no, they're not the fourth best team in the NFL either. The Bills, though they lost, are still the best team in the NFL. When you look at all the factors that went into the game on Sunday and the loss of the Dolphins, there's not a single ounce of me that thinks that the Dolphins are going to beat the Bills the next time these two teams play. I think there is less than a percentage that the Dolphins beat the Bills in the game of December. I said this on Monday. I think the Bills beat the Dolphins by 14 points when they play again in December. I don't think it'll be close. I don't think it'll be close. Because the Bills will have everybody back and healthy. Hopefully by that point you're playing with third string offensive linemen. They brought up a practice squad guard to play center. Josh Allen's never snapped with these guys. Van Roten has fum- had never got the ball to Josh's hands, it felt like. That's why they went shotgun 99% of the time. Mitch Morse will be back. Tommy Doyle tore his ACL, played guard, never played guard before, slides in at guard. Spencer Brown gets heat illness, has to leave the game. So you got Scott Questenberry there, Bobby Hart. God forbid Bobby Hart plays, but he was suspended. He could have been an option. And then Stephon Diggs played about like 60% of the snaps. There were three players that played 100% of the Bills' snaps on offense on Sunday. It was Roger Saffold, Deion Dawkins. I don't know why I blanked on him so hard. I literally just stared at the walls like, what? Why am I blanking? And then Josh Allen. No one else played 100% of the snaps. Like, you play, you rotated your offensive lineman. They called a soccer-style timeout for water breaks so the Bills could get some drinks. And I know the Dolphins' defense was on the field for a long time. They were sitting over in the shade the entire game. And the Dolphins didn't have misters while they're sitting in the shade. Because you don't really need them when you're sitting in the shade. But since the Dolphins didn't have them or need them, the Bills couldn't have them. So the Bills just died. Steph Diggs said he's never had a full-body cramp before. Like, Diggs was dead during that game. Defensively, their entire secondary was out. Christian Benford fractured his hand. So he's done for a few weeks. So the Bills went in with Kyrie Elam, who never started a game up to that point. Christian Benford was a starting corner opposite Dane Jackson, who was out of that game. Hamlin, starting for Jordan Poyer. Jaquan Johnson, starting for Micah Hyde. And then, I don't remember the guy's name, the, the undrafted rookie. I don't remember who it was. Sorry. And then you got Jordan Phillips out. You got Ed Oliver out on the D-line. Like, you're telling me that this Dolphins team, from what you saw, 
is going to beat a fully healthy Bills team. And I'm not ta- I'm not saying the Bills like I'm not going to be like here like Sean O'Malley and saying like hold up a zero every time they read off my record. Like Sean O'Malley lost. Sure he broke his ankle or fractured his ankle or whatever he did in that fight when he lost. You still lost. Like yeah, I accept the Bills lost. But I'm not going to accept that they're the third or second best team in the NFL. I think the only team that has an argument to be above the Bills right now is the Eagles. I think the Eagles are really good. Jalen Hurts is balling out right now. They look really, really good. They're a complete team. I think the Eagles beat the Dolphins. I don't think the Dolphins are really that scary. I say I wasn't scared before Sunday's game. I'm still not that scared. They won by two points when the Bills had a JV team out there. The Bills ran 90 plays on offense. And shot themselves in the foot multiple, 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 multiple times. We went over all the examples of how they shot themselves in the foot on Monday. Whether it was missed field goals. Whether it was the center not getting the ball to Josh so he couldn't get the spike down, so he threw it to Diggs instead. Whether it was Gabe Davis dropping a touchdown. Whether it was Josh short-arming a pass to Isaiah McKenzie in the end zone. Whether it was Matt Milano dropping for sure pick six. The Bills shot themselves in the foot. Congrats to the Dolphins on getting the W, but this isn't happening again. It's the exact same thing that happened last year when the New England Patriots Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills when they ran for over 200 yards. Damian Harris went off. So I don't want to see any power rankings. they, They beat a backup Bills team. And they won by two. I want to see... I, I'm, I'm getting sick. Just because they beat the Bills does not mean they're better than the Bills. They were better from one game. They're not a better overall team. No one is saying the Chiefs are better than, or the Colts are better than the Chiefs. No one's saying that. You can make an argument for the Jaguars over the Chargers because they trounced them by, what, 28 points? That's a little different than beating the Chiefs by, what, three and the Bills by two when the Bills had all their backups in. That's a little different. You can make an argument for the Jaguars. I'll accept Jaguars over Chargers for now. I think the Chargers will be better. You had an injured Justin Herbert. Rashawn Slater's out for the year now. They're left tackled. I think the Chargers will ultimately be better than the Jaguars, but right now, they beat him by 28 points. That's one no two- or three-point win. They killed him in L.A. Bills and Chiefs are both on the road. Chiefs and Bills are not worse than the Dolphins and Colts. I'm sorry, they're not. I'm sorry, they're not. It's the same thing we said last year. You can go back to after the Patriots game. The Patriots were not better than the Bills when they beat them. They won the game. You won the battle, but you ain't going to win the war. That's the thing. I think the Eagles and Bills right now are the two best teams in the NFL. I think the Eagles and Bills are the two best teams in the NFL. I don't think the Dolphins are the best. I think it's the Eagles. If we're going to have an argument about who's the best team in the NFL right now, I think it's the Philadelphia Eagles. If it's not the Bills. If it's not the Bills. They're so complete. They've got every little thing you can look for. Like They beat a good Vikings team. They beat a good Lions team. Sure, the Lions came back in the game, but they still beat them on the road. Two of their three games have been on the road. I say it was the Bills, but the Bills lost theirs. He beat the Vikings team, killed the Vikings after they were going off a super high after beating the Packers, killing the Packers in week one. And now we got a really fun matchup on Sunday. We got the Jaguars and Eagles playing. I'm actually excited for that game. Never th- I didn't think I'd say that at the start of the year, but I am excited to see the Jaguars take on the Eagles because the Jaguars are 2-1. and That's <laughs> freaking crazy. Now the Eagles, I think, should win. I think they will win, but... Yeah, if I'm ranking my top five teams in the NFL right now, and I'm doing this on the spot because I didn't think of writing this down before, because I'm looking at a bunch of power rankings right now. What is ESPN's? I guess I don't even know what ESPN's official power rankings are for this week. Updated power rankings, okay. Dolphins 1, Bills 2. 
Eagles three, Chiefs four, Rams five, Ravens six, Packers seven, Bucks eight, Vikings nine, Bengals ten. Huh. Okay. So here's where I've got it. Just trying to figure this out on the top of my head. I've got the Bills still at one. I've got the Eagles at two. I'll give respect to the Dolphins at three, Chiefs four, then Ravens five. I think the Ravens are playing. So their secondary is kind of frustrating. There's no reason they should have lost the Dolphins last week or two weeks ago, however long ago that was. Secondary just shut off. I thought their secondary issues would be a thing of the past. Turns out they're not. Ravens secondary is still not very good. <laughs> they, I mean, Marcus Peters played well this year. Marlon Humphreys played well. Safeties have been a little bit wishy-washy so far this year. But I think the Ravens are the Ravens are good. Lamar Jackson has more touchdowns, I think, than every other team in the NFL. There are a lot of teams in the NFL. It's weird. Lamar has like 18 touchdowns by himself this year. He's fifth in the NFL in rushing yards. I am so happy this is, he's back. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I saw it. What was, was it? He has 12 touchdowns. I saw something. He had like a ridiculous number of touchdowns or something like that. He has 10 passing, 2 rushing. But I think he leads the league in passing touchdowns. I'm, I'm reading this through. Stats I saw on Twitter. Could be wrong. Not bothered to look it up right now. I'm sorry. But Lamar is playing amazing. And Lamar is going to get paid. Lamar is going to get paid. We're going to say it every single show because it's going to happen. And if it ain't the Ravens, it's going to be someone else. And if it's not the Ravens, they're stupid for doing so. You have a guy. Let me just wrap this, put this in your head, your head top real quick. Lamar is the second ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. Okay? There's one massive thing. And the other thing is, you've got someone at quarterback that in league history, no one has been able to do what Lamar Jackson has done in regards to running the ball and passing the ball. I don't want to hear he's not a good passer or he's a running back. Sure, he has his inconsistencies here and there. Lamar's a damn good quarterback. Lamar Jackson is a damn, damn, damn good quarterback. 2,000-yard seasons, back-to-back, 1,200 yards rushing when he won MVP, and then people came back the next year and said, oh, he couldn't get 1,000 yards again. He did it again. Sure, he didn't pass for as many yards as he did the season prior, but rushing yards were right up there again. He is the entire Ravens offense. I mean, there's two people in the entire NFL that is their entire offense revolves through them. That's Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. And they're playing on Sunday. And those are the only two people in the entire NFL where if they took them out of that team, given what they can do running the ball, they'd be a completely different team. You can't really say that about anybody else. Like, sure, you got Mahomes in there as well. Mahomes has a fair case in that. But Lamar's out running corners and safeties. Josh Allen's stiff-arming D-lineman. Mahomes isn't doing that. If you took those two out of your offenses, the team is done. I like Tyler Huntley, but they did not win a single game with him as a starter last year. And people want to go like, oh, he can do everything Lamar can do. Uh, nah. Nah. He ain't Lamar. He's good. He's fine. But he ain't Lamar Jackson. Let's calm down. Let's calm down on the whole he can be Lamar Jackson type. That's not true at all. There's one Lamar Jackson. You look at the Bills. The Bills' backup right now is Case Keenum. I know Case Keenum won in, Indiana, won in Minnesota. It's the 
first and only time he's had success in the NFL. He signed a big contract in Denver, and guess what? He was in Washington the next year. He ain't going to do anything that this offense... Like, you saw him in the preseason game against the Broncos when he played starters, or the Colts when he played starters. Went very good. I think he can get a job done to a certain extent, but if Josh Allen gets hurt, if Lamar Jackson gets hurt, the seasons are done. Seasons are absolutely washed. I think those are the only two you could say that about. I know other people will be mad at me for saying that, but I think given what they can do running the football, what they do throwing the ball, the only reason that the Bills were in the game last week is because Josh Allen could move around. You're playing with third-string center, a back, third-string tackle at guard, and your backup guard, your backup tackle. So you're playing with two third-stringers in your backup. The only reason they were allowed to stay in that game is because they had Josh Allen at quarterback. Making throws, stiff-arming players, getting out of the pocket, doing whatever. No one else in the, on, in the NFL is doing that. And Josh Allen's leading the league in passing yards this year. He threw the ball 60 freaking times last week. I think it was somewhere around 60. He threw it a lot. The Bills do not run the ball. They run the ball less now than what they did before. And the Bills, I saw this graphic on Twitter today, and I screenshotted it because I thought it was interesting because we've talked about it before on the show. We've talked about it before, of the Bills' lack of run blocking being the main cog and why the Bills have zero semblance of a rushing attack. Yeah, according to this offense pass block, and, and so it's a pass block win rate and run block win rate, the Bills are below every other team <laughs> in run block win rate. They are 32 of 32 in run block win rate. And I think right now, Devin Singletary is the clear number one running back for the Buffalo Bills. I like what James Cook can bring. I like what Zach Moss can bring. But they ain't going to do jack with this run blocking off the line. They can't. Like, I remember a few years ago, I remember Mitch Morse was the highest rated pass blocking center in the entire NFL. Bottom five in run blocking. I don't want to give an official number of where he was, but I know it was low. I know it was low. Bills are not a run-blocking team. That damn, They're barely a pass-blocking team. <laughs> the only reason, that I think Josh Allen was the most pressured quarterback last year, but he's just so big and, again, can stiff-arm defense alignment and can move extremely well that they didn't have massive sack numbers like the Bengals. Joe Burrow can move, but he's not moving as much as Josh Allen is, and I hope Joe Burrow can get some <laughs> semblance of a pass protection because he's going to die. I think it's funny looking back in hindsight, Lyle Collins. I mean, it was funny at the time because he's not like an upper echelon tackle or anything. But when Lyle Collins was like, uh, you got your personal bodyguard, no one touching you, and he gave him 13 sacks in the first two weeks. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, people are touching him. People are touching him. He get, he going to die. He, he, he don't have to worry about touching anybody touching him because he ain't going to be playing. Oh, the Bills just signed Xavier Rhodes. I don't I I don't know how I mean on face value, yes, Xavier Rhodes is a nice addition. But Xavier Rhodes the past couple years has been nothing more than burnt toast. He can't move. <laughs> He's not the Xavier Rhodes that we saw a few years ago in Minnesota. This dude can't move. Hopefully the offseason since he didn't have a team, he just recuperated stuff like that and hopefully he can move again. But the Bills just need anybody. They have two corners right now. I don't know. I doubt Dane Jackson's gonna play. Seriously doubt that. You have two corners on your roster. You need you need something. So, Jordan, even if you can't move, we'll bring bon- Vontae Davis back so we can tire again at halftime. 
Oh, yeah, the Bills corner. I mean, okay, you got Taron Ter- Johnson, but he ain't moving outside the slot. Taron Johnson's the best nickel corner in the NFL. Easily the best. Uh, I shouldn't say easily. He is the best cor- nickel corner in the NFL, though. So you've got... So Jamarcus Ingram was the guy that played corner the other day. The undrafted rookie who's on the practice squad they just called up. He played when Benford got hurt. So active, you got Elam, Taron Johnson, Cam Lewis, and Sierra Neal. Sierra Neal does nothing outside of special teams. Pretty much same for Cam Lewis. I don't even know if Cam Lewis has been active. I honestly don't know. <laughs> but Xavier Rhodes will provide experience, and a lot of it. He's been been there, done that in the NFL. And after week four, the Bills are going to start getting a little more healthy because Trey White can come back. He can get Ike Butker back as a backup guard, which will be big. But yeah, Micah Hyde on IR sucks. That's, that's, that's brutal. That is absolutely brutal. But they've got options. They've got options. I have faith in Poyer. Hopefully he can come back and uh, do the things he was doing before he got hurt. I don't know what he hurt. I think it was his ankle. I saw something about his ankle that he hurt. But I just need him to come back. <laughs> I, just need, I just need Jordan Boyer and Mike Garfield so much more comfortable back there with those two, or at least one of them, that I do with Hamlin and Johnson. No offense to those two. Tomorrow Hamlin, Jaquan, Jaquan Johnson played well. Played fine. Apart from I think it was Jaquan Johnson took the head off of <laughs> Chase Edmonds, scored the next play. And then you look back at what happened when the Dolphins were doing it, it didn't get called. But that's whatever. That's whatever. That's whatever. It's whatever. Whatever. Congrats on the Dolphins are winning the game. <laughs> Good luck in December. That's all I'll say. Good luck in December when you go up to Buffalo. That's all I finna say about that. You finna get your ass kicked. <laughs> and this could come back to bite me in my ass. You know what? I'm ready for it. The Dolphins ain't the best team in the NFL. I'll give them credit on top five. They're one of two undefeated teams in the NFL. I'll give them credit on that. But, nah. Nah, 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 nah. And I saw someone on Twitter. I don't remember who this was, but Sean Merriman, Bill's legend, <laughs> Sean Merriman, came out on Twitter. Someone said, Daniel Jones is Josh Allen without an offensive line. He's not anywhere close. But, I've def- and I've defended Daniel Jones from time. I've said Daniel Jones got a lot of talent in there. And it's just a matter of if the dude can ever actually discover that he has the talent. He's just so derpy. He'll trip over his own feet. He'll fumble, throw intercepts, do everything. You can see the talent's there. It doesn't matter. Can he put it all together? And he got Dable in there. Maybe he can possibly do it this time around. But I saw a guy said said that, and Sean Merriman said the only thing Daniel Jones and Josh Allen are similar is that they both throw to digs. Because if you watch Monday Night Football, which, good Lord, I did not. I tried to get to halftime and then stopped watching. It was so boring. I could care less about either team involved. I cheer for Brian Dable now that he's with the Giants. But I really do not care. I did the same thing with Sunday Night Football. I went to bed at like 8 o'clock last night. Not 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock last night. So I did not want to stay up and watch the Cowboys versus Giants. I know it got somewhat competitive and fun towards the end. But good Lord. And Sunday night, Broncos, Niners. Oh, my God. I wish I did stay. I went to bed at halftime. I went to bed at halftime. I really no, I didn't go to bed. I just switched on Game of Thrones. I watched House of the Dragon. I just like I did go to bed. I watched House of the Dragon. That's all I did with that. I wish I did stick with the game though. I would have saw Jimmy Jean run on the back of the end zone. I wish I did see that. I wish I saw that. <laughs> but yeah, the only thing Daniel Jones and Josh Allen do similar right now is that they both throw to digs. And I guess jo- Daniel Jones has Josh Allen's old coach. And Davis Mills is his backup or one of his backups. So he's got two, three things, I guess you could say he has in common with Josh Allen. He's got a J in his name. He's got an A. He's got an O. Um, 
What else do you have? An N? <laughs> He's got an L. Does he have an H? No. No, no, no. Sadly not. Could be one of those cool people, Janel Johns. Then he could be one of those guys. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. But I do think it's funny that they're <laughs> Jimmy G ran out of the back of the end zone. I want to hear the their better team with Jimmy Garoppolo crowd. I want to hear that crowd again. <laughs> We wrote off Trey Lance too early, and now we watch Jimmy Garoppolo run to the back of the end zone. You're telling me this team's better with him? Nah. Maybe for the right now, but they're going to be boring. And long term, they ain't going to be better with Jimmy Garoppolo than they would be Trey Lance. I'm sorry. I've been seeing this a lot, going back to the Monday Night Football game. I've been seeing this a lot recently. I don't know why this is getting talked about. I, it's kind of it's borderline frustrating, and I'm not even a Cowboys fan. About people hyping up Cooper Rush like he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. What the hell is going on here? Why are we actually talking about having conversations about Cooper Rush being the starter for the Dallas Cowboys above Dak Prescott at this point in time? Why are we having this conversation? Oh, he's 3-0. Aren't his three wins against, like, the bad Vikings team, a Bengals team giving up 1,000 sacks, and the Giants? Like, Cooper Rush didn't single-handedly beat the Bengals. Daniel Jones beat the Giants. And then did I, would you say he beat the Vikings? I think he played well against the Vikings. I was at that game. Made a couple of nice throws, but Cooper Rush is not the guy. There's nothing that he's done to this point that goes, Ooh, Dak better be scared. Dak better be nervous. He finna lose his spot. No, I don't. I don't think anybody with a half a brain is saying that. I've heard Phil Sims say that, that they're all oh, they're a better team with Cooper Rush, and then Julian Edelman was like, who's Cooper Rush? <laughs> he's not he's not better than Dak. He's not better than Dak. They're not a better team with Cooper Rush in. Like, he's won three games. Defense beat the Bengals. Daniel Jones beat the Giants. And then I guess I can give him somewhat credit for beating the Vikings because I was at that game, and he, he did play well in that game. But it's not even like he's putting up great numbers. Like, he's just... He's putting up standard, bog standard, backup quarterback numbers. He'll probably start for the Colts next year. And like the mass conveyor belt of the Colts quarterbacks, he'll be gone the next year. And Colts have had like 18 years of different starting quarterbacks. 18 straight years of someone different starting the football games for Colts. It's like Scott Tolzien, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers, and now Matt Ryan. And then next year's going to be Cooper Rush. Is that the route we're going to be going down here? Because I can... What was it? Was it somebody said they were going to force a quarterback battle between Dak and Cooper Rush? Was that Jerry Jones that said that? I feel like Zach told me that. I don't, that could be wrong, but that's stupid. That is stupid. At this point in time, can you cannot tell me anything Cooper Rush does better than Dak. You can't. I'm sorry. Like when Dak got hurt, everybody was talking about the Cowboys yet again neglected the back quarterback spot. Now they got to start Cooper Rush. And then two weeks later, we're talking about, oh, Cooper Rush could start for the Cowboys. How things change. We talked about Jimmy G is way better than Trey Lance, and he runs out of the back of the end zone. They lose by one point. Conveniently, that he ran out of the safety for two points. Broncos are like the second team in NFL history to score exactly one touchdown, one field goal, and one safety since the Vikings did it when Dan Orlovsky ran out of the back of the end zone. I'm not even a Cowboys fan. That somewhat frustrates me. They're a better team with Cooper. They're not. They're not. Let's stop that. Let's stop that now. Let's stop bad. Bad, 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 bad. Like, if the Cowboys were bad with Dak or weren't making the playoffs, then, yeah, I could see a reality where that's a case. But it feels like every offseason, oh, we got Dark Horse MVP candidate Dak, Dark Horse MVP candidate Dak. Two weeks ago, we were like, 
oh my God, they neglected the quarterback position again, so now they're going to have to go with Cooper Rush. And then now two weeks after that, we're sitting here today, and we're like, oh, Cooper Rush could start with the Cowboys long term. He should challenge Dak for the starting job. This is like when Ethan Horvath saved the penalty against Mexico. <laughs> this is the exact same situation. You play all right, and now we're talking about you should challenge for the number one guy. One of the highest paid players in the league. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. That ain't happening. I made arguments for Tony Pollard over Zeke. I think those were justified last night. Tony Pollard played very, very well. I think everybody is starting to come around the idea that Tony Pollard's better than Zeke. That's a legit argument because we've seen Tony Pollard outplay Zeke. We have never once seen Cooper Rush have one performance that's like, oh, that's better than Dak. Dak's playing better than Cooper. They're winning by more with Dak in a quarterback. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny. I think it's funny. We got some football action on Thursday. We got Dolphins, Bengals. Bengals rocking the white uniforms. Dolphins, apparently, are they rocking the retros? Maybe someone was saying this would be the greatest uniform matchup of all time. I'm for it. Dolphins need to rock their retro uniforms all the time. That should be their number one uniform. Hopefully the Bengals can bounce back. The Bengals are a favorite in this game. This is a weird, this is a weird time. A 1-2 NFL team is the four-point favorite over the best team in the NFL. I've never seen that before. Even if it's on the road, I've never seen that. The Bills were favorite against the Rangers World Champions week one at their place. But now the, the apparent best team in the NFL is an underdog to a 1-2 team? Huh. That's odd. That is odd. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Maybe it's something new. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand it. Because the Bills, who are now the, apparently the third best team in the NFL, are a three-point favor over a 2-1 Ravens team. So, uh, I'm on the road as well. So, I I don't know. I have no idea. That game's going to be fun. I am super excited for that Ravens-Bills game. I'm so excited for that game. Why this game's not primetime? I get Bucks chiefs the bigger draw, I guess, Mahomes versus Brady and all that stuff. Everybody want to watch Ravens at night. Now, as a Bills fan... And know how good the Ravens are at night in Baltimore? I'm glad it's in the day. But if this was Buffalo, I'd be crying for this to be a night game. Flex it. Please, flex it. This is a great game. I'm excited. I, I the, When the Bills and Ravens played, when Lamar won the MVP, I remember leaving that game and going, the Bills should have won that game. I remember sitting there thinking the Bills should have won the game. I'm not sitting there going like, Oh, the Ravens aren't the better team. The Ravens went 14-2 and that year. The Ravens were the better team. Lamar was the MVP candidate, MVP leader at that point. And I thought it was fun. I did think it was funny. Lamar played a little joke at the beginning of the beginning of the game. The first half he wore white sleeves. I don't remember who said it. It was some I think it was San Francisco radio station. I think it was San Francisco. That was like, people don't know what he's doing with the ball because he's black. <laughs> the ball matches skin or something. So he wore white sleeves and then juked the hell out of Matt Milano. Brutal. But I left that game going, ah, oh, man, the Bills should have won that game. They should have won. But they didn't. It wasn't like the Dolphins game, where I think, where I know the Bills should have won, but just things didn't go their way. They shot themselves in the foot. I I just left that game a little upset. It wasn't like, I was like, yeah, fair play. Good job, Baltimore. But they should have won. And that game was fun. That was a really, really fun game to watch. This time around, I think the Bills should win. I get Lamar's playing amazing right now. Lamar is... One of the best quarterbacks in the NFL every single year. Doesn't matter because I've said this a thousand times. Lamar, if you can do one or two elite things, I can take you being average at other things. Lamar is the – him and Josh, again, are the two people that if you talk to another team, they're a completely different team. You can make it work with other quarterbacks and all the other teams in the NFL. 
If you take Josh Lamar out, they're done. You're not having the backup do the same thing, especially at Buffalo. Case Keenum is not running the offense the way Josh is running it. They could have gotten away with it to a certain extent with Trubisky. They might have won nine games. Might have won eight games. But Case Keenum, I I have zero confidence. I'm sorry, Case. I have no confidence if if Josh gets hurt. So, Josh, knock on wood, please don't get hurt. But it's fun. Ravens secondary leaves him a little open. Hopefully Diggs is back and healthy for this game. Hopefully Davis is back and healthy for this game. Hopefully Davis doesn't drop a touchdown in this game. But I think I think the Bills will win. I do think the Bills will win. Chargers-Texans should be fun. I'm a little nervous for the Chargers, but it should be a fun game. Vikings-Saints, the London game. Ugh, I hate the London game. I'm The NFL trying to expand to London. No one cares. No one gives a rat's ass over in London. Like, look at the stands. Use your eyes, Roger. Like, look at the stands. They're rocking freaking Browns jerseys and Jaguars jerseys for a freaking game between the Patriots and the Chargers. I don't I don't know. I just picked Patriots. I don't know why. I don't even know if the Patriots ever played in London. No one wants to play in London. And thankfully for Vikings fans, my friend Jared's pointing me out to this. And it's a away game for the Vikings. Not even really an away game. It's a neutral site. And they got to wake up at freaking 7.30 in the morning <laughs> to get this stupid game on. Or at 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning. 8.30 is when kickoff starts. But man, LA is a failure, and you're trying to expand to London. That ain't going to work either. It's one of those things where people are going to it because they're not used to it. And they're like, oh, we can go to this NFL game. We don't get a chance to go to this. We go once a year. If you put it there, no one is going to care. They're not naturally born... NFL fans in London. Like, you can have excuses to expand in other markets because there's a market there. There's no market for the NFL in London. Money is the only thing because you get a bunch of tourists. And we've talked about the Super League before. Why the Super League became a thing is because when you have season ticket holders, you're not making money. You have a game at a different place every week. The chance of you getting tourists, getting business meetings, and all that stuff raises exponentially. Because if you have a season ticket holder, if you're a season ticket holder, you're not going in and buying things at the shop. You're not buying all these different souvenirs and things like that, but you have new people coming in every week. Then that's re- marketable. But going to there, the atmosphere would suck dick. I'm sorry, it would. You have a better chance down in Mexico than you do over in London. I don't know why they're trying to make London work. Canada, they can run their own league, but you could go to Canada and do stuff there. If you really wanted to relocate to another country to try to make the global brand of the NFL... But London, no. LA's already a no. Like the Bills outranked the Rams fans 70 to 30. And they're freaking Buffalo, New York. You're a home team. Matt Stafford was talking about using a silent count at home. And you're trying to tell me the NFL will work out in London. It ain't working in Los Angeles. It sucks. You should have never move the Rams and Chargers. San Diego and St. Louis are much better markets than Los Angeles. LA is not a sports town. Never has been ever. Just look at UCLA football games. Then you got Browns, Falcons, the Deshaun Watson Bowl, the team that thought they were getting Deshaun Watson, so they pissed off their starting quarterback at training in Indianapolis. They got Marcus Mariota versus the team that got him, and now it's starting with Jeremy Brissett. Oh, the Deshaun Watson Bowl should be a fun one. <laughs> we got the Commanders versus the Cowboys. We got the Seahawks versus the Lions. We got Titans, Colts, Bears, Giants, Jaguars, Eagles. We already talked about that one. That was going to be kind of fun. They got Jets, Steelers. I think Zach Wilson's supposed to be back this week. Which should be fun. Should open up the Jets' playbook a little bit more. Cardinals, Panthers. 
Patriots, Packers, Broncos, Raiders, and then Chiefs, Bucks, and then Monday Night Football, we got Rams, Niners. I was really looking forward to that game with Trey Lance. Now I'm stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo again. And the Niners are favorite. Niners are the favorite. Which is fine because the, I don't consider the Rams the best team in the NFL. If you're not the best, if you're the best team in the NFL, you should be favored in every game. That's how I look at it. I can see other examples where if you're not the best team in the NFL, you could be there's cases for you to be the underdog. Even on the road. Even on the road. But if you're the best team in the NFL, you should be favored in every single place you go to. So Dolphins, uh, you got some explaining to do. Best team in the NFL on the road against one or two teams. You're underdog by four. A little weird. And what's ESPN predict the game to be? Oh, ESPN gives the Bengals a 75% chance to win. You're the best team in the NFL. Why are you Why are you only giving a measly 24.5% to win? Best team in the NFL, my ass. Good Lord. The Bills are favorites in Baltimore by three. And the Ravens are the favorites, according to ESPN's match predictor. 53.9%. The Bills, 45 but the Ravens are a better team than the Bengals, so it's, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Best team in the NFL, underdog, has a 24% chance to win. I don't know. I make it. I make the rules. I just, I just abide by them. So the Dolphins are now, instead, four-point favorites because they're the best team in the NFL. Now, switching gears to the college side of things, we've got another Thursday night game. So if you're going to watch Bengals-Dolphins, BYU-Utah State could be a very, very fun game. Probably not. But it could be a very, very fun game. Probably not. It's in Provo, which is a very, very tough place to play. BYU is a 24.5 point favorite. Coincidentally enough, the same amount percentage ESPN is giving the Dolphins a chance to win against the Bengals. Works out beautifully, doesn't it? Gotta love how a beautiful plan works out like that. Didn't actually even plan that. Just happened beautifully like that. It's not going to be a good game. Utah State is not as good as what they were last year. And BYU is, uh, they look good. I know they lost Oregon, but they look good. Then Friday, we got Washington-UCLA, which actually, that should be fun. UCLA is 4-0. I am excited for that game. I don't think anybody's going to be at the Rose Bowl. But oh, jeez. It is a fun game. UCLA is riding a high on some oh, four straight wins. Sorry for burping so much. Got my boy Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Eight touchdowns, one pick to his name this season. Also has over 170 yards rushing with two touchdowns. Gotta love it. DTR completed 86, 83% of his passes, 82.6% of his passes, but we're rounding up to 83. Percent of his passes against Colorado in dominating fashion. They struggle against Southern South Alabama, but this should be fun. I'm really excited about Utah, UCLA versus Washington. And on Saturday, the game that everybody's wanted to talk about, we're actually going to skip that game for now. I want to end with that one. <laughs> Kentucky Ole Miss, that's, a very, that's actually really fun. That's going to be fun. 11 o'clock. While you're flipping back between the game I want to talk about and that one, that'll be fun. And then we got Oklahoma TCU, Purdue, Minnesota. I guess I didn't notice Minnesota's ranked to the top 25. We got Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oregon State, Utah, Alabama, Arkansas, which I don't think will be as good of a game as it was last year because Arkansas's pass defense is really bad. So I don't know how that one's going to turn out. Alabama's a 17.5 point favorite. We got Rutgers, Ohio State, same with that one. Ohio State's a 40.5 point favorite against a Big Ten team. We got Baylor, Oklahoma State, maybe match of the Big 12 championship game, Northwestern, Penn State, Wake Forest, Florida State, which could be kind of fun. And then AM versus Mississippi State, another really fun matchup. Georgia, Missouri, NC State, Clemson, which is really fun. Top 10 matchup right there. Clemson coming off a close win against Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Arizona State, UC, USC, and Stanford in Oregon. Remember, Stanford beat Oregon last year and then proceeded to lose their next, I think, seven games. 
not fun. But the game we want to talk about, the game everybody's going to be tuned into is Michigan-Iowa. Now, according to ESPN, Michigan's got a 76.8% chance to win this game. Michigan opens up at a 10.5 point favorite. And we talked about this to a certain extent on Monday, and we'll talk about it on Friday. We'll give a more in-depth preview for Friday. I'm not as nervous for this game as most people are. I don't think Iowa's going to win. But I do think Iowa being at home has a better chance than a lot of, at least my friends, are giving them in this game. Like, Michigan is kind of hard to judge because they've really only played one legit team, and they beat them by seven. That was Maryland at home. The other teams they played were Hawaii, UConn, and Colorado State. Not necessarily a murderer's row of teams, unless you want to call it a murderer's row because those are the teams that are on murderer's row because they're they're dead, because they stink, just really bad. If, that, if that's what you want to call it, murder's row, all the bad people are on murder's row, all the bad teams are there, maybe that's what you want to call it. But it's, they're just so hard to judge. I think J.J. McCarthy is a better quarterback than Cade McNamara. Blake Corum's played really well. He had an awesome game last week. And Iowa's offense is done, doesn't do anything. But even they played a harder non-conference schedule than Michigan did. Like, I think South Dakota State would beat all the teams that they played, apart from Maryland. I think South Dakota State would beat Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. I really don't have a problem saying that. I think they I think they do. <laughs> I think they win pretty easily against some of those teams. Against UConn, I think they trounce UConn. Iowa State, same thing. I think Iowa State beats Maryland. Now, they, uh, Nevada, I think they could beat Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. I think they get smushed by Maryland. But... We'll see Nevada and Hawaii and Colorado State play. I, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. Nevada plays Colorado State this week. They play Hawaii next week. It'd be funny if they played UConn in there as well. But I think all the teams Iowa played, apart from Maryland, beat the teams that Michigan played. Like, guaranteed. Even Rutgers beats the team that Michigan played. So Michigan's offensive numbers are kind of skewed because they're playing Sisters of the Blind, pretty much. So I'm not... I'm nervous. I don't think they'll win. But I don't think Michigan's going to blow them out of the water. I'm not, I would not be surprised if this was a really close game. Iowa's defense is very, very good. Michigan's defense is also good. They don't have the star players they had last year, but they're still a good unit. I don't know. I'm, I'm not as nervous as a lot of people are for this game. Like My papa was nervous about it. My friends are all nervous about it. Why? If you know it's going to be bad, why are you even nervous about it? Like, Ohio State, I'm not nervous for that game at all. I already know how it's going to end. It's going to be 59-10. to 10. And I don't, I don't really, if it ends 59-10, to that'd be kind of cool. But also really sad at the same time. But Ohio State's going to kill Iowa. I know that. I've accepted that. I'm not nervous for the Ohio State game. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to be sad. But I know it's going <laughs> to happen. I've just accepted my fate. I'm not nervous for it. I'm not nervous against Michigan. I, I think I have an idea of what's going to happen in this game a little less than what I do Ohio State because I think Ohio State is guaranteed to win. Okay, 99.9% chance to beat Iowa. I think Iowa's got a 0.1% chance to win. Horseshoe, with, Ohio, with how Ohio State's playing and how they just killed Wisconsin, how they beat up on Notre Dame week one. Like They beat them by 11, and that wasn't even them playing that great. Like C.J. Stroud played well in that game, but it wasn't like anything magical Against, the, against Wisconsin, they brutalized them. Michigan beat Maryland by seven. Oh, but they killed UConn. They killed Hawaii. They killed Colorado State. I would love to see, like, the college football power rankings. I think those three teams would be at the bottom. <laughs> I don't think any of them will be 
higher than 120. So there's 131 schools in FBS college football, I believe. And those schools, I don't think, get outside the top 20. <laughs> I think I think those are all 120 to 131. And I think UConn, or I think Hawaii might be 131. <laughs> uh, UConn, well, UConn somehow managed to get a win. They somehow, they beat Central Connecticut. <laughs> so there's that for them. Whether they played Syracuse, Michigan, and NC State. <laughs> so it hasn't been, a, hasn't been a fun ride. It has not been a fun ride for UConn. But that's why they play FIU in two weeks. Man, that's going to be a barn burner. Florida International taking on UConn. These are two schools. Florida International is on 537 yards a game. Good Lord. 537 yards a game. They played They played juggernauts known as Bryant, Texas State, and Western Kentucky. They allowed 73 points against Western Kentucky. Good. Reed leads Western Kentucky to 73 nothing romp over FIU. I'm going to use that word more. Romp. That's what Ohio State did to, <laughs> did to Wisconsin. They romped them. And then while we're on the topic of <laughs> Ohio State versus Wisconsin, I think it's a good time to bring in our week <laughs> week four quarterback prospect rankings list. And we're starting off the list with the guy who romped Wisconsin. It's C.J. Stroud. Like, the thing that scares me about Ohio State more than anything is that when the season started, we didn't really know. Well, we had we knew who they were, but we didn't know how dangerous they'd be outside Jackson Smith and Jigba. To everybody, or most everybody, I'm sure there were some people that didn't have him up there, but to mostly everybody out there, Jackson Smith and Jigba was the number one wide receiver in college football. You had a legit argument from Jordan Addison, but that was Kayshawn Beauty, but we knew what this quarterback situation was going to be a little bit of a problem. Talent-wise, he's up there. Jordan Addison was playing with uh, friggin' Caleb Williams. So we knew he was going to put up the numbers. Booty wasn't going to put up the numbers that Addison and, and Jigba did. But now he might because Jigba hasn't played. He didn't play last week. He's been hurt since week one. But when you went in the season, it was like, oh, it's Travion Henderson, C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And you stop one, you stop them all pretty much. Uh, Proverb, like, spe- like, looking at it, Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, he's been, he's been locked down because he hasn't played. But... They've just used so many other options. Options Like C.J. Stroud, the thing I've loved about C.J. Stroud this year, more than anything, is that he's distributing the ball at an amazing clip to so many different people. Like, it's not like one person's getting all the targets. You've got Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. are dominating the targets, sure. But then, like, Cade Stover's been using the pass game quite a bit. The tight end. Julian Fleming's caught a couple nice touchdown passes in this game this season. Like you look at the touchdown distribution, you've got what one, two, three, four, five, six players who've all scored touchdowns, and five of them, or four of them, have all scored multiple touchdowns, which means more than one for those of you non-math whizzes out there like myself. Like he's given everybody an opportunity, equal opportunity employer right there, C.J. Stroud. Like sure, Ebuka and, and Harrison Jr. have five touchdowns each. Sure. But, like, Cade Stover has two. Jaden Ballard has one. Julian Fleming has three, and Xavier Johnson has one. Like, Josh Smith the Jigba has four catches for 36 yards this year. Like, Ohio State, once he gets him back, once they get him back and rolling, 
They're going to be even scarier. And look at how they run the ball. Travion Henderson, 318 yards. Mayan Williams, 308 yards. Both had three touchdowns. Like, Ohio State is just killing everybody with all these different options. And C.J. Stroud has 16 touchdowns and one interception this season. And this is the same guy that people were begging to get benched last year. At this point last year, C.J. Stroud was on... He was, he was getting lined up for the guillotine. He was about ready to get his head chopped off. And he started balling out. Showing what everybody showing what we defended on the Logan Blackman show. But CJ Stroud just diced him up. I remember turning on this game. All right, well, we went on Cole and Company on Friday. And this was one of my picks, Ohio State versus Wisconsin. There is nothing Wisconsin can do to try and keep up with Ohio State, and they can't stop them. I don't care how good their defense is, you can't stop what Ohio State's bringing. You can try and slow it down. You're not stopping it. There's two. Those are two totally different things. And then when you don't have the firepower to compete with what the other teams bring in, if your defense ain't stopping it, you ain't even coming close to winning that game. And that's what happened. Like, we flipped back and forth between that game and the, the amazing game that was Iowa versus Rutgers. And you're like, why is this... Why am I subject, subject to this? And my microphone just fell off my stand. I'm trying to get it fit. I might just need to hold it the entire the rest of the show and then figure it out afterwards. Can I figure this out? <laughs> Am I smart enough to figure this out? Probably not. Oh, oh, I lied. I'm smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> I'm I'm a big brain. I got this thing figured out. Okay, <laughs> what were we saying? <laughs> why why was this allowed to be prime time? Why were they hyping it up to be this big game? I would challenge anybody out there. Who the hell actually thought this was going to be a game? Who the hell actually thought this was going to be a game? I would love to meet these people. You are some optimistic people that this was going to be a fun game. They're throwing out Graham Mertz versus CJ Stroud. This isn't the Graham Mertz that played whoever they played two years ago when he looked like really, really good for that tiny bit. This is Graham Mertz now, who stinks. You're bringing him out against CJ Stroud and saying, yep, this is going to be a fun game. This is a good primetime game in the horseshoe of all places. Ohio State's played three primetime games. They've won all of them by double digits. Wisconsin's lucky they pulled C.J. Stroud when they did because <laughs> it could have gotten worse. Like, Ohio State, what was the score at one point in that game? What was the score? There was some, like, insane score line at that game. Go to the play-by-play. 45-7 going into the fourth. 45-7. And C.J. Stroud even played, <laughs> I'd say, pulled. <laughs> they kept his ass in. Put foot pedal down. Pedal to the metal. Murder on national television. It was 31 not 31 7 at halftime. The fact Wisconsin got a score is amazing in its own right. Like this game was never close. It was never fun. And CJ Stroud just diced him up. Absolutely diced him up. From the word go, it was done. It was just absolutely done. 31-7 at half. They were at 45-7 at one point. They made it look like they were playing Arkansas State or Toledo. That's what this game looked like. Like he threw an intercept. Stroud threw an interception in the game shirt. Sure, he overthrew his receiver, and the defender made a very nice play on the sideline. Fair play to him. That's the only positive thing you'd really say about Wisconsin's performance. Like he, this is it was just picking candy from a baby this game. Absolutely brutal. Stroud was placing passes all over the field. He didn't complete a high percentage clip like he normally does. 
And he threw an interception, which is his first one of the year. But good lord, this dude is freaking balling out. He is feeling himself right now. And he's going to put on an absolute clinic against Rutgers. Absolute clinic against Rutgers. 40 and a half point favorite. What is ESPN's matchup predictor for this game? What's their matchup predictor saying? 98.3% for Rutgers, for Ohio State to win this game. 98.3% chance to win this game, according to ESPN. Ohio State's putting up 558.8 yards a game. That is insane. You wouldn't think that they played a Big Ten opponent in Notre Dame in these first three, first four weeks, did you? You thought they were playing Michigan schedule. If they were playing Michigan schedule, good Lord, they might be averaging 700 yards a game. Good freaking Lord. I, I don't think Michigan's beaten Ohio State this year. <laughs> I don't think they're beating Ohio Ohio State looks pissed off. They're killing everybody in their path. Now watch me say that they lose. Somehow lose to Rutgers. Or have a Georgia versus Kent State game like they did last week where Kent State somehow managed to get 22 past Georgia. Don't know how the hell that happened. Number two, I've seen a lot of people fall off the train a little bit. I'm kind of surprised at number two. I have I have Bryce Young at number two. Am, am I wrong in saying Bryce Young is the second best quarterback in this draft class? Am, am, am I missing something? Like I saw a post today. It was like the only quarterbacks I'd build or, or consider building around are certain quarterbacks in the NFL, and the two college quarterbacks they list were CJ Stroud and Will Levis. We got at three. Mel Kiper has Will Levis at three as well, or at number two. Number two, he was like his fifth highest player in the draft class. Am I am I missing something? Right now, like other than Levis being bigger than Bryce Young, is there a lot of things that are truly separating them where Levis has passed up Bryce Young to the point where you're not even considering him an option to build your team around in the NFL? Is that where we're at right now? The guy that just won the highest will probably win it again. This guy, this guy. Like I know CJ Stroud's balling off and I think Caleb Williams will be up there too. I think Hendon Hooker has a shot as well, given how he played last week. But Bryce Young probably is going to win the Heisman again. We're talking a two-time Heisman Trophy winner. And I know there's a difference between being good in college and being good in the NFL. We've seen a lot of those things. Players just couldn't tr- get the transition to the NFL. But when you look at some of the quarterbacks in the NFL now, why is size becoming such a big factor yet again? Like, is it just because we're watching Josh Allen, stiff arm D. Lima, we want... Pl- big quarterbacks like yeah Will Levis is definitely closer to Josh Allen and Kyler Murray whereas Bryce Young's the opposite Bryce Young's a lot closer to Kyler Murray Bryce Young just does not run I don't know why he doesn't he had 100 yards week one and he just doesn't run because he could sling the ball over the field I don't think there's a better quarterback in college football that could throw Oz as accurately off platform than Bryce Young can I think Bryce Young has got to work on this is me saying Bryce Young should do something different Bryce Young, probably, if we're talking about things that Bryce Young would probably need to work on, he needs to take a lot of touch on his throw. Put a lot of touch on his throws. Because a lot of Bryce Young's passes are on a freaking line. Which is a problem that a lot of quarterbacks have. I think Will, I think C.J. Stroud is a lot more developed as regards to a pure passer. Bryce Young can just do everything. He's just not very big. I think he might be 5'10". I don't know what he's listed at, but he ain't very big. 5'10", about 180 probably. He's not a big guy. But I don't know. Am I, I'm just missing something. Like he can place the ball all over the field. He probably has 
I'm trying to like from what I've watched from dating back to last year too. He might have the strongest arm in college football. I think there's one or two others that we can mention there. One we'll talk about a little bit later. But I don't know. I haven't seen a lot this year that says, yep, Will Levis has passed Bryce Young. Like the game against Texas, if that's the game we're going off of here, Bryce Young carried Alabama to that win. Like their defense, Will Anderson was getting personal foul penalties. The receivers were dropping. The old line wasn't blocking. Bryce Young won the game for Texas that week. Like I, I'm just, I'm lost. I, I, I'm sorry. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just being stupid. And I, I like Alabama just killed Vanderbilt. It wasn't even a game. My friends would barely let me turn to this game. I had followed on my phone. They were barely letting me turn here. Bryce Young, four touchdowns, 385 yards passing. Let's dice them up. Dice them, dice them, dice them up. And Will Levis, I don't want to take anything away from Will Levis. I think Will Levis is very, very good. We got him at number three. I think there's a gap between I think Will Levis is closer to number th- number two than he is number four. If that's what we're if that's what you want me to say, like I've seen a lot of those conversations happen recently. Like this is closer to this than this is closer to this. Like I don't know, uh, like Levis is closer to Bryce Young than Bryce- <laughs> Levis is number four. That's a, maybe that's a, that's a, probably a good example. I think Levis has a very very strong arm, a very ele- like. For how big he is, he's about 6'4", probably 235, 6'4", 230, somewhere around there. Big dude. And he could run. Will Levis can move. I, I, This is one of the issues I have with people that look at stats, like just religiously. Will Levis can move a lot better than negative 37 rushing yards. He is not a statue, as his stats would imply. Like Bryce Young had zero rushing yards and 81 carries last year. Bryce Young can move. He proved that week one. We said that before he got to Alabama, the Duke can move. Zero rushing yards is not a true infliction about how good of a runner he is. Negative 37 yards for Will Levis is kind of upsetting that he has that little yards. But passing the ball against Northern Illinois, tough game, yeah, for Kentucky as a whole. But Will Levis played one of his best games in college football. 303 yards passing, four touchdowns. And his first passing touch, I believe it was his first one. For uh, Who was it, too? I've got the names written down. I have this is one of the first weeks I got almost all the descriptions done. I usually just try to do this off memory. Who was the first touchdown to? Because now it's bothering me. Tavion Robinson. Tavion Robinson, transfer from Virginia Tech. Uh this was one of the plays that I was looking for, or one of the plays I've been looking for for Will Levis, where we're looking at a guy that would run first versus pass or try to make a play with his feet versus his arm. And this was a play where Travion Henderson, Tavion Travion Henderson, not the Ohio State running back, Tavion Robinson ran a route towards the middle of the field. Will Levis saw the route developing but didn't have him open yet, waited until the linebacker is right on his chest before at least a dart. And, yes, he's wide-ass open. We're well aware of that. But it's the fact he just stood still in the pocket Knew he was going to get rocked, did, and still delivered a dart for a 69 LOL yard touchdown. Like, that's what we're looking for. That's what you're looking for in those types of things. He threw a little dig route later in the game. But dig routes are surprisingly one of the hardest routes to throw. I would say dig routes and comeback routes are the two hardest throws to make. I mean, those are the two hardest. 
especially opposite opposite sideline, far hash comeback routes are the hardest throws to make. And the dig routes are right behind that. Just because of how long of a throw that comeback route is. And then dig routes are hard. It's pretty much just anything over the middle, but especially dig routes because the route's not at a slant. It's at a just straight diet, like straight horizontal line. There's no nothing. Like you could try and lead a receiver on that, but you try to lead in a dig route or anything that comes horizontally, you're going to get the dude killed. Safety's going to be sitting right there and just kind of like cross his arms, just lower his shoulder right in the dude. He's going to die. And then if you throw it behind him, since he's running like that, he's not going to have a chance to readjust. You're going to probably throw an interception. But if you place it, you got to place this throw like right on his hip. Anything, generally speaking, across the middle, unless there's nobody there, you've got to try and hit him on his hip. And he did this on one of his throws. He did this to, he just let Brown, well, who was it? Who was it? Uh, Barry and Brown. Barry and Brown. He threw it on his hip and just let him do the rest. Like, give the playmakers a chance to make plays. That's what I've always heard. That's what my college coaches said. If you're unsure about something, just let your playmakers make plays. And that's what he did. He put it on his hip, let him go. Like, Levis played a very, very good game for considering how Kentucky didn't play their best game as a team. Like, against Northern Illinois, you're a 25-point favorite or whatever. You shouldn't be beating a team like Northern Illinois uh, 31-23. to You shouldn't have those games. But Levis played well. And I'm excited. They're playing Ole Miss, like we talked about earlier. That's going to be a fun one. Very, very, very fun. This will be a big game for Levis. Levis already went to Gainesville and beat Anthony Richardson in the Swamp. Now he's going to Oxford. I think it's Oxford. To take on Ole Miss. Like, two road SEC games to start your season off? That's big. You can come away with victories on both? Then, yes, we can kind of start having conversations about draft prospects with him being over Bryce Young. But unless something drastic happens, I really don't foresee anything that says, yes, Will Levis, to me, will pass Bryce Young. I'm open to it. I'm not saying it's not going to change, but for the longest time, I've always considered it to be in 1A, 1B at the quarterbacks and then everybody else between Stroud and Young and then everybody else after that. So I have a hard time saying that Levis, at this point, has passed Bryce Young. To this point. Now, number four, this one is kind of controversial because I am going solely off traits. And sometimes that can get you bit in the ass. Sometimes that can hurt. Sometimes that uh, that can hurt you. But I still, I'm going to hold out a lot of hope for this guy right now. I'm going to hold out hope because I think he is up there with one of the strongest arms in college football. He's also one of the best runners out of the quarterbacks in college football, and that's Anthony Richardson. If you're just looking at stats, if you're looking at his passing numbers, they're not great. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that Anthony Richardson's numbers are amazing. Two touchdowns, five picks on the season. I'm well aware that's not great. But there's so much talent there. And you can hate me for doing this, and I, I don't blame you for hating me for doing this, but he's just got so much God-given ability that I'm willing to hold out for as long as possible before he gets passed up by the pe- two people sitting behind him. Because I think the two people sitting behind him are the closest challengers to him. But like, he threw for 453 yards, and most of that was because they were trying to come back. Ran for 62, which led the team. He had four total touchdowns in the game against Tennessee. On the road, Neyland Stadium, 102,000 people. Massive stadium, massive SEC game. And he put up a good game. He had a good game. I'm I'm still confused about the rushing touchdown why the refs took so long to decide he was in. But Anthony Richardson, man, some of the throws he makes 
Like, there was one throw down the left sideline, the near sideline, where he's backing up, is leaning back, and off his back foot just delivers a beautiful throw to the sideline. Absolutely beautiful throw. Ricky Pearsall, I believe it was. Was this it? Was it Ricky Pearsall that he hit? Or is it? No, it was Justin, Justin Shorter. Justin Shorter. Like, he just hit him perfectly down the left sideline. Set up a nice play there. He can make some throws that are just jaw-dropping. And sure, he'll have the odd incompletion here and there, but he just makes some amazing throws. And you're sitting there like, wow. 6'4", what, 230? Pretty much same size as Levis. Very similar skill set to Levis. Both those guys have very similar skill sets. For With a cannon for an arm, with how good he is running the ball, I can't vis- – I stats-wise – Yes, I should probably move him down. But he didn't play that bad on Saturday. He didn't play bad on Saturday. So I have a hard time going like, yeah, you should move down one spot or two spots or three spots or whatever. We'll get to a guy that dropped like a freaking rock here in a little bit. But Richardson, I'm holding out. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. And you can read, and again, if you don't like how I'm explaining this, you can always go to the blog post on loganblackmanshow.com, click blog tab, and scroll down. You can see it right there. It's titled The Draft Expert, quote-unquote. What's it called? <laughs> 2023 NFL Draft Week 4 Quarterback Prosperities. That's what it's called. Or, again, you can make sure you're following me on every single form of social media. You can find it there. Number five, this was tough. I rotated five and six a thousand times, and I ultimately settled with Jaron Hall at five. Because, and I'll, number six, Tenant Hooker. I ultimately went, so Hendon Hooker on last week's list was at number seven. So he only moved up one spot for having an insane performance against Florida. But I looked at it, and I know it's against Florida. I know it's against Florida. I know Jaron Hall played Wyoming. I don't think Jaron Hall's performance was average enough or bad enough to justify him getting passed up. I don't think that's fair to Jaron Hall. I think Jaron Hall had an amazing game against Wyoming, and I think he is one of the quarterbacks that can make every throw on the field. He's not a massive, massive dude. But there was a throw to Keanu Hill. I believe it was on their second drive of the game. It's one of the prettiest back shoulder throws you'll ever see. Like, he made some throws in this game. Isaac Rex, the tight end, down the left sideline. Like, a couple plays later, or maybe a play later. I don't remember exactly, but he threw it down there and let his playmakers make plays. Put the ball up only where he could get it. It was a nice, like, reverse, reverse, toss back, throw thing. BYU's run it quite a bit, but like he's just like he hit he's hit so he had so many good passes in this game. And he's not rushing for over 100 yards in the game. No, he's not doing that. He can move though. Like there was a play in this game where Hall rolled out to his left, was getting bullied in the middle of the pocket, rolled out to his left, brushed off a defender, broke tackles, flipped his hips around, threw it to his wide receiver, and the receiver dropped it. Brain Cosper was the wide receiver who dropped it. Now, he did have a defender on his back, so I'll give him some slack for that. Cut him some slack for that, but Jaron Hall can just zip it everywhere. He has an absolute hose, and I couldn't, I even though Hendon Hooker had a very good performance and outplayed it, it's, it's, it feels weird. I know. feels weird. Hendon Hooker won the game against Florida. Had outplayed Anthony Richardson. Richardson's still at four. Hendon Hooker moves at six, but didn't move enough to pass Jaron Hall who played Wyoming. I know it's tough. I know it's tough. Just watch some of the throws Jaron Hall made and look at the traits of of Anthony Richardson. You'll see why I'm keeping him there. 
But it's no disrespect to Hendon Hooker. Absolutely no disrespect. Probably had the best performance of the week. Two touchdowns passing, one rushing, over 100 yards rushing, led the team in Tennessee in rushing, and had 349 yards passing. Like, Hendon Hooker, great game. Like, his rush, his big rush, I think it was like a 44-yard 40, 40, uh, carry. Yeah, 44-yard carry. Busted up in the pocket, rolls out to the left, sprints upfield, gets a massive carry, and it did scare me a little bit. He was doing that thing where you kind of like, and you just do this naturally. You're trying to evade something, you like move your arm. And he just lifted the ball in the pocket while he's already getting attacked by Florida defenders. That scares me. Keep the ball close to you. The farther you have it away from your body, the more likely you are to fumble the ball. I get what he was doing, trying to just evade the defender, and it didn't fail. It didn't end up working, so it's <laughs> it's kind of like the better be lucky than good thing. But it's scary nonetheless. It's scary nonetheless when you take that ball away from your body to try and move it away from somebody, especially when the pocket's collapsing around you. It's stressful. It's very stressful. But Hooker made a lot of amazing throws. Like, they're... they're their game plan against Florida was near perfect. Like they barely had any miscues on drives. I think Hendon Hooker did. Ah, crap. Who was it? I think Hendon Hooker did fumble. Because a defender, I believe, came around the backside on the left. I can't remember exactly. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to go off memory. I don't want to sit here and try to read my entire description out here because I remember hearing this in school. Maybe this doesn't sound natural at all, but. You try to put as little words on a PowerPoint or or presentation as possible. So people aren't reading the PowerPoint. They're listening to what you're saying. Now, in this case, I don't want... No one's looking at me right now. So I have an option for you to go and read it if you want to. But I'm not going to sit here and read. You don't want to read off the PowerPoint. It just sounds unnatural. So I'm not going to sit here and go... This was arguably the best game of Hendon Hooker's collegiate career. Against a team that beat Hooker in the Vols 38-14 last season, Tennessee came back with a vengeance. That seems to be a theme up until this point for Tennessee this season, as they did the same thing to Pitt just a few short weeks ago. Last year against Florida on the road, Hooker threw for 221 yards with no two with two touchdowns and just 23 yards on the ground. This time around, Hooker balled TF out. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. We're trying to have some fun. Trying to make this go by a little fast. But Hooker played really, really well. Really, really well. And then number seven, sticking with the SEC, Will Rogers. Moving up three spots. He's the biggest mover of the week. I understand it was against Bowling Green. I am well aware of that. Six touchdowns is impressive. With only 11. You throw the ball 50 times, and you have 39 completions, 409 yards, six touchdowns. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. I don't care if it was against Bowling Green. I do not care. Dude can put the ball literally anywhere on the field. That Will Will Rogers has some of the nicest touch on any football in all of college football. I, I just watch it. He can put touch, he can make almost every throw seem beautiful. And just it's a great gift. So I have him moving up to number seven. Number eight, Tyler Van Dyke. I struggled even keeping him in this list. I did this with Spencer Rattler last year. If you remember last year, Spencer Rattler was highly considered to be the best or second-best quarterback prospect in the draft at this point last year, or at least preseason, and then slowly started dropping down over suspect performance week one and then getting benched against... Uh, who did he get benched against? Uh, who did he get benched Kansas State? Who was it again? He got benched against somebody early. It wasn't against Texas. He did get benched against Texas, but that wasn't the first game I was thinking of. That was when he officially lost his job. So he got benched two years in a row against Texas. But getting benched is always weird. 
Like, Tyler Van Dyke, his first two passes against Middle Tennessee were interceptions. Now, the second one was tipped, but it was at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't like it was tipped by a defensive back. It was tipped by a D lineman who tipped it up to himself and caught it. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on with this offense. And I know they're putting up, like, decent numbers, but, like, they struggled against Southern Miss for most of the game. They, were winning. they took them until the last two seconds of the first half to take a lead against Southern Mississippi. Then they decided not to show up against AM. They scored nine points, missed a couple field goals along the way. And then they get blasted by 14 points at home to Middle Tennessee. They're 26-point favorites in this game. 25.5-point favorites to win this game. And you lose to Middle Tennessee State? Like, this is Miami. This is the U. This is not some podunk college. Miami should not be losing to a team by double digits by a team that just got beat by freaking 37 by James Madison in their first ever year in FBS football. I know James Madison's good. I know James Madison's undefeated. But, man, you Miami should not be losing to teams like that. Miami shouldn't be losing to James Madison, let alone losing to a team that lost to James Madison by 37 points. That should not happen. That should never happen. Let alone lose by 14 at home, and then you get benched against Middle Tennessee State. And Tyler Van Dyke, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Miami fans are not upset with me saying this, because Tyler Van Dyke did the same thing Justin Fields did. He talked, probably when he shouldn't have, and said, I like playing on the road more because we don't have a home atmosphere. Or I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said. Like I said with Justin Fields, it doesn't matter if it's right. Don't say it. <laughs> because those are the people that are gonna are supposed to be on your side. And you're sitting there going, oh, they have no home atmosphere. It's true. Miami doesn't have a home atmosphere. But you're the starting quarterback. You cannot say that. It doesn't matter if it's true. It does not, it does not matter a rat's ass if that's true. Because it is. Miami doesn't have a great home atmosphere. Their home atmosphere stinks. Has for years. But don't say it. Justin Fields coming after the game, after the Packers game. Oh, like, the fans aren't suiting up. So The fans don't understand. We're upset, too. We're more upset because we're ones practicing every week. Don't say it. It's true. Don't say it. You're the starting quarterback of a big-time college program, pretty much a pro football team, with the popularity of Miami. You cannot say that. So the fans probably don't care. In all honesty, they're probably cheering for Jake Garcia to take the starting job from him. And then we'll see Tyler Van Dyke in the transfer portal. And I know a lot of people will be sitting there going like, oh, his numbers passing are not too dissimilar to Anthony Richardson's numbers. But Tyler Van Dyke has not had a performance against a top 10 team like Anthony Richardson did against Utah. Tyler Van Dyke's not running the ball anywhere near as much or as nearly as effective as Anthony Richardson. And also, this is this is kind of big. This is kind of big. I should have pointed this one out first. Um, Anthony Rich has never lost by 14 points at home to a borderline FBS team. A team that just lost to a team by 37 points that just got promoted to the FBS. Florida has not lost that. Sure, Florida struggled against USF. Sure, Florida struggled against Kentucky. Sure, they lost to Tennessee. Don't matter. They didn't lose by 14 to Middle Tennessee. They beat USF. Do I think they should have beat them by a lot more? Yes. Miami should never lose to Middle Tennessee State. Home, road, neutral site, don't care. Let alone lose by 14 and get blitzed the way they did. 
and Tyler Van Dyke for being a top quarterback in the draft, you can't get benched in a game against Middle Tennessee State, against like Florida State, against Clemson. Those are acceptable. Not great, but acceptable. You can't get benched against Middle Tennessee State. I, I almost thought about Xing him out of the list entirely. Miami's got a bye week. A much, much needed bye week. But, like, does he stay in this list if, say, like, the two people at the bottom of this list and the people from the outside coming in play well? Like, we excommunicated Spencer Rattler from the list, and he never came back. Sure, he was mentioned in the, the other category for a tiny bit, but he was excommunicated. As VeggieTales said, sent to the island of internal tickling or in forever tickling or something like that. Sounded weird. I don't know. But you can't get benched against Middle Tennessee State. You can't. And be a top five quarterback in the draft. That's not going to happen. He might. I could see a reality where he comes back or transfers next year. I, I could really see that be the case. And this is a season that started off with Mario Cristobal coming in and saying Tyler Van Dyke was the best quarterback in college football and he benched against Minnesota State. That's weird. But it was needed. Number nine, Tanner McKee. Had a good game against Washington. You know, on the road, three touchdowns. Sure, one interception. Sure, a whopping negative 33 rushing yards. But played well. He completed a high clip of passes. It was against a tough team. Very tough Washington team. And playing in Seattle at night, nonetheless, is tough. And they're going on a very, very rough stretch of games. They played USC. They played at Washington. And they played at Oregon this week. Now, remember what I said earlier. They beat Oregon earlier this year. Or earlier, earlier this year. Last year. And then proceed to lose, I think, every game after that. And then after Oregon, they got Oregon State, who's a tough team. And then Notre Dame, and then they can start getting some winnable games against, like, Arizona State. But they've got some tough games. Tough, tough games. But Tanner played well. Tanner played well against Washington. I'll give him credit for that. And then number 10, K.J. Jefferson. Just a weird game. A really weird game against Texas A&M. Uh... I, do you count it on the road? I know it's technically like in the middle of the two schools, AM and Arkansas, AT&T Stadium, but it's just weird. You had that weird Ed Reed-esque play where Texas A&M went to score. I think KJ fumbled that ball. He didn't do a lot passing the ball. He ran the ball well, but passing the ball just wasn't, wasn't great. Wasn't great. I like the uniforms. I dig the white helmets. I love the all-white look, but that was about it. That was really about it. He's got the the way he's. I don't know. I I'm I'm hoping. I was gonna say something along the lines. He got the least likely chance to win out of everybody in this top twenty five. Uh, this top ten. But I don't know, because I I obviously think that you know Tanner McKee's gonna have a tough route, and then Will Rogers is gonna have a tough game against Texas A M. Anybody else do I think? Uh, will Levis will have a tough game against Ole Miss, but. Anthony Richardson with how this has nothing really to do with Arkansas's offense. It's all about their defense. With how their defense has been playing, especially in the secondary, I think they're giving up like 500 yards a game of total offense. Like they're Alabama's going to come in and try to murder Arkansas. The game was close last year. I don't think we're getting the same thing. I don't think we're getting the same. I get it's at Arkansas. I don't think it really matters. I don't think Arkansas really has a chance at this one. I could be very, very wrong, and I might be. I feel bad because one of my friends from high school is an Arkansas fan. I watched Arkansas versus South Carolina a few weeks ago with him. I feel bad for saying that, but I really just don't think they have a chance in hell of winning that game. 
I'm sorry. Least likely chance to win, probably. And then we got the others. We got Sam Hartman back in there through six touchdowns against Clemson in an overtime loss. We got Devin Leary through four touchdowns against uh, UConn. Grace McCall threw two touchdowns at another one on the ground against Georgia State. Michael Penix, very nice performance, two touchdowns, 309 passing against Stanford. And then Cameron Ward, though he threw a crucial interception to lose the game to Oregon, I still think he's one of the better quarterbacks in this draft class. And he comes in. And the finale, but it's just in alphabetical order, so it's not like it's actually <laughs> it's actually uh, ranked that way. I got to put OT next to Sam Hartman because I guess I didn't even put that. But yeah, I think that's all I've got for you today. I do think that my voice is going. I need to pop like a cough drop or something, get a gla- new glass of water. I finished that off a while ago. So I'm going to need to get that stuff sorted out. But I do hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did not, of course, leave a rating down below on why you feel the way you do. Leave a description as well to let me know even more. Good or bad, don't really care. Just share your opinions. That's all I really care about. But with that being said, I do hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. Make sure to check out the Logan Blackman Show and all forms of social media. Make sure to check out the blog post as well at theloganblackmanshow.com under the blog tab. And with that, I will see you all later. Enjoy the rest of your day and peace.